Glasgow is a city of contradictions, where the weather changes on a whim, it seems, where it's easy to believe something else lingers in its strange spaces. Explore Glasgow through the eyes and ears of queer playwrights, right here on Radio Drama Revival. Hello, and welcome to Radio Drama Revival, the podcast that showcases the diversity and vitality of modern audio fiction. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez-Collins. Today, experience the first episodes of a fiction podcast in our showcase. And next week, return to join us for the creator interview. To begin our 14th season, we're stopping first in Glasgow, Scotland, where something otherworldly has begun to invade the city. Folkslore is a queer horror podcast that piloted three 20-minute episodes in early 2020 about queer isolation, motherhood, fear, and dysphoria. Their monsters are shadows, disembodied voices, and very real people who question everything about you. Folkslore was written by In The Works, a spoken word theater company based in Glasgow and produced by David Devereaux of Tin Can Audio. These spoken word theater performers are your voices for these episodes, with their soundscapes filled out by Devereaux's subtle finesse and complex understanding about the sound of Glasgow. Devereaux can place us all in a subway with abandoned corners and still too many people, or a house both filled with young life and deprived of it, or a warehouse district hidden from view. Some of In the Works art deals with the experience of being trans in the UK. Existing as a transgender person in the UK is especially dangerous right now, considering events like current legislation, media treatment, and the overwhelming voices of transphobic celebrities. We'd like you to consider donating and supporting Small Trans Library Glasgow, a lending library for trans, including non-binary people. They also have a trans grocery fund to help redistribute funds to trans folks in need and have been a godsend during the pandemic. You can find them and their donation links on Twitter at TransLibrGLA. Stay tuned for the closing credits to learn about Folkslore's future. At this moment, it's time for episode one, Warehouse, written and performed by Ross McFarlane. This episode contains paranoia and references to homophobia. So, Matthew, tell me about last night. We decided to meet on the corner of West Street. You and Luke? Me and Luke. I took the number two and waited by the gates. He was late. The air was cold and the wind cut through the holes in my gloves and dampened my old shoes. I paced at the entrance, stared at the smashed windows, the heavy wooden doors chained closed. I was worried. What if he didn't show? We'd said we'd meet at eight. And when was this arranged? We'd met in the south side. The house where the Hutchie folk go dancing, spent the night laughing and chatting. The rich kids were there, but they didn't seem to see us near the end of the night. He suggested we should meet up. And that was last night? Yeah. When he eventually made it, we went for a walk, talked nonsense for a while. When we heard a voice, it was coming from inside. 
Inside where? The warehouse. And you were outside? Right. We were just walking the grounds till we heard this horrible sound. There was no one around, so it was up to us to make sure no one was hurt. And you two were just wondering? You weren't up to anything? I, I don't know what you mean. Matthew, I need you to be honest with me. What happened between you and Luke? Okay. I'll try honesty. He was late. I got there at eight, waited by the gates, checked out the smashed windows for a way in, then... Hey. Hey. He was wearing a faded red polo neck, jeans flared and frayed at the edges, dress sense quite effortless, a bag in his back, the contents mysterious, a smile so wide, thoughts quite mischievous, wise eyes tracing my face for silent meanings. He stopped. A couple paces away. Hey. What did he bring? Nothing. Matthew. Have you got the stuff? I said it before thinking. I mean... Did it all go okay? He'd said his cousin could get us beer. Said we could meet here. Said inside was safe. And that's the whole story. Well. Matthew. I think I see where this is going. You're not a good liar and it's very obvious you're getting flustered. So, just so you know... There's no judgement. We had met in the south side. The house where the Hutchie folk go dancing, spent the night laughing and chatting, talking close. The rich kids were there, but they didn't seem to notice. The next day I found a note he had left in my coat, a black and white, scratchily sketched rose. He said his cousin could get booze for his. I said, who else? He said, Just the two of us. When I was waiting by the gates, and he said, Hey. I was shaking, face redder than his faded polo neck, thoughts all over the place like the frayed edges of his jeans took every effort I had to stay. Insight. I expected silence, the shuffle of feet on concrete and the muffled sound of heartbeats. Instead, the wind slid across smashed glass as it swept in, vibrating the air and the window pane. Steel creaked from overhead with every move we made. The wall offered no obstacle to sound from the street. Engines revved like breath. Headlights played puppets with workbenches and desks, dancing candles preceded by shadows. The darkest corners and corridors uncovered for an instant, the light barely breaking on any brick before being pushed out, the night claiming background. Luke lit a torch. The light dripped down the walls, investigating those hard-to-reach places and settled on the floor. In the centre of the space, the concrete had cracked, concave, our paths creased to reveal steel beams, the only crossing to the other side. Inspecting. A stone dropped hit something hard, but the light did not fall so far. I stood, stiff and unwilling for what I knew was coming. Luke smiled, led me forward, looking back, heard me hesitate. Took my hand. Three treacherous steps. Three held breaths. Three seconds of near silence. On the other side of the cavern, 
look barely trembled, looked brave the adventurer as he led me down to the foundation. You scared? No. Luke led me down to I don't know where. As we left the pitch black of the stairs, we met a long corridor, wide enough for wheeling parts to the elevator at the back. The sound changed. The street outside was muted. We lost the creaking of the ceiling. Instead, we could hear movement, scratching of tiny nails, scampering to hide away from a foreign noise. We brought in breath and step and conversation in a place which had been silent for an age. Every room was dormant, the walls were concrete corner to corner, indents were left on the ground where once was something heavy, now empty. Except one. After getting our bearings, we found an old office with a cracked leather couch. This was our spot. So we stopped sat down. Luke pulled out two bottles and we toasted to our closed down ghost town. What are the girls like in your school? Well, some of them are cool. A lot of us are friends, but then that's a lot easier when... The nerves kick in. How do you do that? Make something so tough for the rest of us look effortless? I struggle to talk to girls I like. Do you feel the same with guys? Well... It's not the same. Don't know what girls are like and the ones I've liked well. I'm not really interested in the girls you like. Right, let's take this to the next stage. How about a little game? Unless you're scared. Truth or dare? Sure. I wasn't, but I wasn't scared either. Truth. Do you like anyone? There it was again. That confidence, his whole body open as he talked like this, while I'm closed off, knees together, hands in my pockets, hiding on my side of the couch, he's lounging about. Okay, there. You can't take it back, you already said truth. Not the rules. Those are the rules. Not my rules. Okay. You go first. Ask me anything. Damn. <laughs> I'm bad at this. You ever done weed with the Hutchie kids? Is that a serious question? Because it's a wasted one. Yes, a couple of times I've gone round the back of that flat with a couple of guys. Okay. Your turn. There. I'm not afraid. If you say so. So, I dare you to stand on your own in the room next door. One minute, no torch. Waste it there. I ain't scared. The room was pitch black. There was a trickle of water pulling at the back of the room. Other than that, quiet. Couldn't hear look, or the wind, or the cars. My fingers fidgeted, heart raced. I waited. Lost count. So just as long as I could, reveled in the thought of him getting spooked, waited for him to come looking. Eventually, I went back to our room. Okay, I did it. Back to you. Truth. And try and make this one good. You been with anyone? Luke raised an eyebrow, then a bottle to his lips. A few people. 
If you want to know more, you're going to have to be more specific. That's not fair. Your go. There. Sit over there. Eyes closed, 30 seconds. Fine. I dusted off a square of floor, took a seat, and stole a last glance. Closed my eyes. This was a different silence. His eyes rang bells in my ears until, after several seconds, I could hear movement, light footsteps, small breaths. I waited to feel his presence. I had fought against expecting it, but I was waiting for him to get close. And time. His voice came from over on the couch, still lounging across his side and mine. Looks a little comfier over there. Let me join you. He picked up his bag, bottle, sauntered over. Truth. Do you like him? Yes. You need to get better at this. Don't worry, I'll be here when you get it. It's on you, Matthew. He was right. He'd done all he could. Truth. What do you want me to dare you to do? I adopted his confident pose, stared him straight in the face, dust danced around his hand as it moved to beside mine. Then he waited for me to say, Dare you, dare you, dare you, dare you. We kissed. I was leaning back, my hand scratched on stone. Under the weight of my body, I could feel glass press into my palms. He rested a hand on my chest. It fell awkwardly, but his confidence steadied me. The chill of his finger landed on my collarbone just above my shirt. Ran through me like a current. For a second, there was silence. What was that? He looked hurt. The first sliver of a fissure in his otherwise calm demeanor no, not you. I just... I heard something. Good. You good? He leaned forward, head to the side as I closed my eyes, cautious. I thought I saw... We kissed. I moved off the backhand, dusted dirt and blood from my palms, pushed into his lips. Tried to act as confident as him. He let me, relented, then leant on his elbow, rested, led my head, looked up from below me. Still in control. Only in the seconds we broke for breath was I back in the basement. For the most part, I was concentrating, keeping up. What? I stopped. Did you hear that? Confused, Luke withdrew, looked curiously at me over his shoulder and then fumbled for the torch. 
The light did little to sate my worry, a single beam it cut slim slices from ceiling to concrete, leaving much too much shadow and cold angles in the dark. I swear I heard something. I swear I heard. I think I heard. Did you? He shook his head. I wanted to run. Then and there I thought I heard someone. Are you worried about us being found? Is that why you're freaking out? No. No, no. This is nice. It's really... I'm having a good time. I'm sorry. Can we... Matthew, just don't be so on edge. We're doing nothing wrong. Relax. He went in for a kiss, but... I'm not just being skittish, and I don't want to think something's wrong. I just... I just... I just... I think I heard someone... His smile let out a sigh of light scorn and the moment of tenderness of trepidatious steps taken were gone. We can leave if you want. I don't. Confessions come in whispers. They need to, to be heard. He sat back down beside me, hand on my knee, his face turned to meet the soft centre of my cheek. As I looked up for a second, covering the space. I closed my eyes in comfort. On the lids was imprinted a face. God! I couldn't do it. I needed to leave. Something was coming and it knew we were here. Right, what's going on? I'm kind of getting sick of this. Are you just not into it? There's someone here. Give me the torch, look over there. I saw a face by the stairs, black eyes, red hair, a blood freezing stare. Matthew, there's nobody there. Luke cut my chin. His face had changed. It was stern and strange, concerned and pained, worried. Contorted and concentrated, and I wanted him to kiss me to get back to that silence. Then the torchlight flickered. Not from its source, but from where it fell on the wall, a shadow passed by and now it was back in its element who wouldn't find it in the dark. I need to leave. Trust me, this is not what I wanted, but this place, this building, my mind, something is haunted. The walls were closing. The ceiling was rising, the wind was whipping up dust and dirt. My hand was stinging with blood, red and wet. An omen of dread felt a tug on the back of my shirt. I'm going. Footsteps echo through the corridors, stamping, breathless, ringing. Didn't stop when I paused, hand held out to look in warning. Silence. Then, scattering, tiny nails on concrete, this time like an April shower, a torrent of water splashing over glass and scampering away as quick as it came, a horde at our feet running from something. I looked up. The ceiling caved in above, a single set of headlights illuminating faces on every surface, barbed wire scraping against the walls, mouths screaming, silent howls. Look! Look! I'm here. I, I thought I saw a light in the room we went by. Look, this place is broken and creepy. I think I'm beginning to agree. Until we get out of here, please. Don't leave me. Okay. 
He held out his hand. I grabbed it. We clambered past the stramash of cracked ceiling and stone. The torch light doing little to steady our woes. Look, lurched it left and right ahead, behind. We stopped every few seconds to listen. Feeling a presence on the edge of our vision. The longer we wandered the corridor, the wider it grew. Constantly expanding cage, amazed with stalking pursuit until the door to the stairway came into view. Darkness. Slow, deliberate steps. Listen for the expected echo. Waiting. Silence. Feeling the pock-marked walls, something to hold on to the skin of the building as we headed for the exit. The warehouse, the workroom, the windows, the headlights, the howling wind, the hillscape ferris smell, the ceiling, the high-walled cavern, the crushed floor cave-in. Only one way out of this, over the steel beam bridge. Luke and I stop, held hands and gazes, a comforting heat in a world set ablaze. Almost there, we got this. I nodded, swallowed. He stole a kiss and pressed me forward. Three treacherous steps. Three held breaths. Three seconds of near silence. One. I can feel him behind me. Two. He moves onto the steel beam. Three. I've made it to safety. I can breathe. Matt? His voice trembled. Two. Three. Three easy steps. You're almost there. Take my hand. Matt, I can feel it on my back. Steps two and three, it's easy. Matt! Matthew, it's fine, take your time. You could have stepped across, I don't know why. Matthew, I need to know what happened. Looks lucky to be alive, he barely survived. What do you need to know? In the factory. There is only the two of you? I'm not sure. Son, I need you to tell me the truth. I don't know. Luke hasn't said much since he's woken up, but you keep saying he fell and I need to make sure. I don't know. Matthew. Luke keeps saying he was pushed. Radio Drama Revival has been showcasing fiction podcasts and elevating the voices of their creators for 13 years. If you've enjoyed this show, if it's helped you or healed you, or done the unforgivable and increased your episode queue, there are a couple of ways to support our continued existence. First, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. We have a special Discord server for all our patrons where we organize monthly meetups with listening parties, silly and informative PowerPoint presentations on podcasting, and more. Second, we're pleased to announce the creation of the Ticker Tapes, where for a small fee, 
you can share a message with the rest of Radio Drama Revival's audience. I'll read the messages, and they can be a birthday card, a quick podcast advert, a casting announcement. Whatever you have that needs an audience like this one. You can learn more at radiodramarevival.com slash ticker tape. Who's unreliable? Do you think you would be believed? Next, we open the door to a house that exists in two places at once. With episode three, Static, by B.B. June. This episode contains unreality and not knowing what is real. No two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. And one woman said, My lord, this woman and I dwell in the same house, and I gave birth while she was in the house. Then it happened the third day after I had given birth, and this woman also gave birth, and we were together. No one was in the house with us, and this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from my side and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead son in my bosom. And when I arose in the morning to nurse my son, there he was, dead. But when I examined him in the morning, indeed, he was not my son whom I had borne. And the other woman said, No, but the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. Thus they spoke before the king. I can't sleep. Sitting in the window seat between six up and six down, Glasgow City sounds sleepless. Mockingly mimics my face mirrored in the window, the reflection showing the contents of our bedroom, tour lion, small crib, and a wardrobe. Mess of a bedhead frames my tired face, but I barely recognize the smoothed out window pane version as I watch the slow transition from sunset to sunrise that I have seen so often since my daughter was born. It's what happens, apparently, when you become a parent. It seeps in silently. In the negative space of those first cries sits in the shadows of the life you created, takes root in your blood like a virus and then poisons you. The panic. The dread that makes a parent's bed stretches out on the mattress and invites you to come lie in it. It darkens your mind until the world becomes a place defined by its edges. Every corner a crime scene, every risk too reckless, and when the world settles into a nighttime slumber, the adrenaline still pulses through your body. When you sit, listening to the existence of stilted breaths, the thoughts of doom and death too tangible to forget. I'm told it gets better, and it has. Slaughtered into routine like a fruit machine, more a habit than a need, but... In the in-between of wake and sleep, I still stand over her crib and listen in for her breathing, trying to remember the pattern of it. The gasp that pre-crawls the breath on which she lives, the slow release following. What's that? It's nothing, love. She's up. 
I'll go get her. Oh, this is my turn. Let me. It's fine. Just go back to sleep. You'll have her tomorrow. Before she was born, I wanted her so badly. Lived with her existence on the tip of my tongue so close to naming her as someone so often. I wish someone would have warned me about that one thing. Would have kept the devil out of my life at those times I was most ready to sell my soul, but that's hard when you've made home and hell. See, our desire, it wasn't made from a hopeful wish. We passed that stage after the first cycle of needless sticks when needle pricks and doctor's visit became habit. By the end, we were so prepared for the opposite that when it did happen, it felt like we'd imagined her into existence. Had made her from the maybe that marked every month not the wish that births so many parents. Call me a pessimist, but she was our last chance. Our final shot. The NHS only covers so much and the fees are too steep to pay up front that last time. It was the first time I'd hesitated. Kept thinking maybe if I don't look at the stick, both options remain in a state of time and place where they exist. And I don't have to go sick, go sad, go crazy with anticipation. I remember staring at that line for hours, just waiting for it to disappear. See, parenthood doesn't come as easy to a squares like everything, it's just that little bit harder. But after everything that's happened, I don't regret it for one second. I get to see my happiness reflected in her smile. Get to give her the childhood I would have liked, I can't sleep tonight or any night. Don't want to let tiredness take me from this life, too afraid to wake up and not find her by my side. Yeah, I, I had a nightmare. Come here. You're okay. You're alright. Is Annie still asleep? Who? Annie? <laughs> you must still be dreaming. Go back to sleep. You know when they say, sleep when the baby sleeps? <laughs> yeah, I used to think that was bullshit. Newborns sleep up to 16 hours a day and I was used to six. <laughs> Thought I had it all figured out. Thought I would be spared that parent's fate of living in a tired, sleepless haze, but those first days are an amalgamation of sleep, feed, changing diapers, and being the most tired you've ever been. But after the third night of counting sheep and no sleep, of standing over her crib listening into her breathing, I couldn't do it anymore. I fell asleep. Finally. But when I did, something shifted. Dimensions overlapped, rearranged, and somehow twisted her out of existence when I woke up. She was gone. Not just not there, but never been. Our guest bedroom pristine, not littered with toys and dozens of undescent bottles. No closets full of clothes and dirty laundry. No sign of the child I took home just three days ago. I went crazy. Tore the wallpaper off the walls in my effort to find her. Scared drew to death with my screaming, my anger turned the mattress upside down, ravaged the apartment, dug my fingernails into the carpet until they scratched the wood beneath, tore the bloody splinters out with my teeth, swallowed them in my haste, tasted the irony of blood for blood like a sacrifice to whatever god was out there. Drew had to call 999 and they sedated me after, so I don't remember much, but I woke up back home to the soft cooing of a newborn. 
I still have a habit of checking my fingernails for damage. Checking for the scar hiding under my thumbprint I spent so long thinking I was going insane. I was making things up, hallucinating, but over time, I got used to it. Learned to live two lives. One filled with my child, one filled with the emptiness that she occupies. And on those mornings where the house is too quiet, I try to force myself out of bed for the love of my life. Pity the Drew who exists only in this world, this plane, where she doesn't. Shh, it's okay. Everything okay? Yeah, she just had a nightmare. We're all good. Look my baby on the treetop When the wind blows the cradle When the bell breaks the cradle Parenthood looks so good on me. Late at night, carrying our child bare-chested close to the symmetrical scars that mark them masculine like wings to their big heart. In between genders, not mother or father, but parent. A luxury we never thought we would have. To her, we are not burdened by birth names and assigned expectations. And in turn, we raise her to be free of this weight of gender and spoon-fed self-hatred. Let her decide for herself whether she is she or he or none of that at all. We are nothing but trust and love for this small human, and yet that bothers some. We are considered unnatural, opposing the traditional, destroying the sanctity of marital traditions, and though it angers me, you do get used to the hatred. I can't remember a time when I haven't been different. It's been the one constant in a life filled with difference. Where defiance seems mundane. Survival is consistent. We're so used to rationalizing away the violence that comes our way that maybe that's why I never tried to change it. Never told anyone about the strange things that were happening so that now, on the eve of her third birthday, I worry whether I will miss the candles, the hoorays. Worry about the many words I've missed her say. I wonder what happens when I go away. Whether they still write themselves the same, but most of all. I wonder who takes my place. And the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to one, and half to the other. And the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son, and said, O my lord, give her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, Let him be neither mine nor yours, but divide him. So the king answered and said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. I don't know if a god exists, but I don't like to call myself agnostic. Don't want to be defined by my inability to prove something's existed. But I did always love the stories. My mum... The least holy woman I've ever known, she'd read them to me. Apparently, it's the only thing that would get me to sleep. 
We've been struggling with Annie recently. She keeps waking up at night to the most blood-curdling screams at first. We thought it was night terrors. Where in the morning she wouldn't even remember, but since she's started not wanting to go to bed. And we've tried with her, tried everything. Tried rocking her endlessly. Tried bedtime stories, but even then she wouldn't sleep. And tonight is another night of no sleep and all fight. Of finding countless reasons to leave her bed, of getting so tired that she can barely get up the steps. I can hear her through in the other room. Drew trying to not let her get to the door, voice strained but calm, not trying to show weakness. Sometimes... I worry that maybe she can feel it. That she can somehow sense the plane shifting and I wonder whether it hurts. Whether I've done her a disservice by wanting her. All I want is for her to stop crying. To stop hurting. But it feels like all I can do is make it worse. And sometimes I... I relish the night she isn't there feel like a fake, like the worst parent, like I would do anything to make it stop. Anything? Thank God. It's quiet when I wake up. No, stop, don't think that. You love your child. Of course you do. No matter what she does. But if this respite is rested on my shoulders without me having asked for it, I might as well enjoy it, right? I can bide my time both ways. Find pleasure in being a parent and being barren. I like this parenthood of half a child. Shared with an unidentified other, maybe it isn't all that terrifying. At least, that's what I tell myself whenever doubt creeps up. Whenever I wonder whether I should tell someone, and tonight is one of those where I twist and turn myself asleep. Feel fate unpleasantly wrapping its hands around me, breathless. A voice comes to me. Remember me? It speaks. I have sat and waited, lessened with bated breath, and I have preyed on your innocence. Do you get it yet? Your life is not your own anymore. I have borrowed it, stolen what was yours, and you have been patient to no avail. Sat passively, quietly. When will you speak up for yourself? Well... I sit listening, lipless. Can't bring myself to ask him any of my questions. Too scared that he will answer. It's quiet when I wake up. Again, I stop my train of thought, but this time I am interrupted by the memory of yesterday creeping up on me. Where is she? I check the bed. To the left, a lack of crib. Check through in the living room, the kitchen, a note. Drew left early this morning but still no sign of a toddler wandering around. And surely they wouldn't have just left her alone while I was still asleep? Check back in the bedroom. The bathroom, through the door to the guest room. Guest room? No sign of the dinosaurs we painted as decoration. No sign of the changing table that sat unused after we realized any service would do. I 
slowly sit back down on the unslept bed, fall back, rest my head on the pillow, and panic. Tear the pillow apart, throw the blanket at the planned mattress to the side, break the slats, hit the window with one of them, glass staring through skin, blood for blood, tear the carpet off the floor, punch a hole in the door, trying to get somewhere, brute force my way back to her, out of here. Maybe I miscounted. I stop in my track, head back to the kitchen, take the calendar off the fridge. Today is Tuesday, the 5th of November, 2014. Yesterday, I put my keys on the counter where they still sit. I baked a cake which was left half-eaten, pieces visible under the Tupperware lit. Shit. I scream, no, roar, throw the calendar on the floor, run outside, out the door, down the stairs, skip steps, stumble, fall, hat bashes against stone, I hear a loud snap, a dull ache, the breaking of a bone. I don't remember how long I lie there. I don't remember Drew coming home. I don't remember the hospital or the bandages, don't remember them setting the bone, I don't remember how long I've been lying there. It could be seconds or days, or maybe longer. But Annie never comes home. Maybe, maybe it, it was, was just, just a story. Something I told myself to keep from going crazy that somehow I still got to have a, a baby. baby isn't a bargaining chip. Solomon wasn't a wise king. He's like me, splitting hairs for the sake of it. One parent or another, I don't see the difference. Make no mistake, I will grant you your wish by whatever means I see fit. And when they come to me, they are desperately clinging on to a reality that can't exist. And yet, sometimes I'm convinced that it was me. That I somehow got tricked into taking the hit that this is not my reality. Reality is a strong word for that which is perceived. I don't need to be believed to exist. I visit your dreams and prey on your wishes. Take that which I want and twist it. A baby, is it? Well, let's split the, the difference. The difference is, I still remember it. I remember the feeling of your feet kicking for the first time. I still remember your name and the shape of your face. I'm not crazy, I'm not crazy. I sing down to my knees and I pray. pray you are on the receiving end of my indifference. A child that exists in one place, but two parents that are switched. One wanted a child so badly that they wished for it. One didn't know what they were missing until they did. And I just had to sit it wait for them to slip. To, to find a way out of this mess. hell that I am living in. I never meant for this to happen. I just want her back. We'll do anything. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. They'll do anything for their child. A parent's biggest weakness is not their love or their fears. It's their trust and a belief that this world is fair. Solomon didn't think the real parent would give in. He just didn't care. Have a baby or no child at all. It really doesn't matter. Not to me. But I guess... If you liked what you heard, then please know the Folkslore's first full season will be launching March 7th. What's in it for me? You can I'll join the Folkslore team on March 6th. For a first episode live listen and commentary stream on the Tin Can Audio Twitch channel, find the link in the episode description. To support more of In the Works art, you can do so via their website, intheworkstheater.com. That's theater spelled T-H-E-A-T-R-E. You can support David Devereaux's sound design and podcast magic over at their Patreon at patreon.com slash tincanaudio. Radio Drama Revival runs on several bicycles connected to washing machines pedaling furiously, and your extra pennies in the sofa. If you'd like to help keep us afloat and featuring new, diverse, unique fiction podcasts and their creators, 
you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash radiodramarevival. And now we bring you our moment of will. Hey folks, it's good to be back. This week, my recommendation is some more queer horror. If you've been listening to Radio Drama Revival for a long time, this is probably a familiar name to you, Mabel. If not, uh, I highly recommend listening to our episode on it. I would discuss it here, um, but we already did that real good. So I am going to leave a link in the show notes for that episode that we did about Mabel. I guess those episodes we did both a showcase and an interview, of course. Um, And I highly recommend checking it out. It's really beautiful. It is very lyrical and very poetic and really fucking gay um, like these episodes. So if you like folks or I I'm sure you're going to love Mabel as well. Um, that means until it's next time, time for the I credits. Hope you this episode was recorded in the unceded territory of the Kalapuya people, if you the Klitskani Indian tribe, and the Kalitz Indian tribe, and the Atfalati tribe. Colonizers named this place Beaverton And water helps the end. Okay. <laughs> if you are looking for ways to support Native communities, uh, welcome back to you can donate to Our Nations, Arizona, an organization will. that provides essential okay, food bye. items to indigenous <laughs> families from more than six tribal communities, including White Mountain, Navajo Nation, and Gila River. Their GoFundMe is www.gofundme.com slash f slash nourish dash r dash nations dash Arizona. Our theme music is Reunion of the Space Ducks by the band Kylo Kass. You can find their music on Free Music Archive. Our audio producer is Will Williams. Our marketing manager and associate audio editor is Ann Baird. Our researcher is Heather Cohen. Our submissions editor is Rashika Rao. Our associate marketing manager is Jillian Schrager. Our audio consultant is Eli Hamada McElveen. Our associate producer is Sean Howard. Our executive producers are Fred Greenhouch and David Reinstrom. Our mascot is Ticker Tape, the goat. I'm your host, Elena Fernandez Collins. This has been Radio Drama Revival. All storytellers, welcome. Welcome.